You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honour everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the emperor. Christians have taken different approaches to how they should interact with the world around them. How close do you get to the world? How withdrawn should you be from the world? Christians have argued about this for thousands of years. When I first became a Christian in a Brethren Assembly called Heathmont Gospel Chapel in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, uh, we weren't allowed to do any bush dances because bush dances involved dancing and dancing was something that Christians should not do. But we got around it in this way. We didn't call it a bush dance. We called it a dush dance because we figured that God would never work out that we were dancing under a different label. In that congregation, at least, it was really important to withdraw from the world, to stand at distance from the world. In fact, when I was at university, I was writing a a philosophy essay. I went up to one of the elders at the church and I said, this is what I'm writing the essay about. This is getting a bit of feedback. This is what I'm writing the essay about. Can you give me a hand? And he said, remember this, Reese, that philosophy is like a blind man looking for a black cat in a dark room where there is no black cat. I think he was saying, really, it's a waste of time. He was not very open to thinking at university level. A dear man, I loved him dearly. But some Christians withdraw from the world. But other Christians get very close to the culture around them. And that has a good side, that is. Uh, When we're close to the culture, we can reach the culture for Christ. We're engaged and we're talking to people who aren't Christians. But part of the problem of getting really close to the culture is that we might not ever have counted the cost of being a believer. 
we get close to the culture, but we've never really worked out what it means to stand as a holy nation. Different and proud of our difference. Some Christians withdraw from culture. Some Christians get very, very close to culture. In fact, so much like the culture that we're not even different at all. And there are some Christians who want to be engaged with the world, but they don't ever really expect the world to change. They're in the middle ground between the other extremes. So it's wonderful that your church is reading through, preaching through the letter of 1 Peter, because Peter's big message effectively is how close do we get to the world? How distant should we be from the world? How do we engage with the world? And we need 1 Peter in these difficult times for Christians, not only because of COVID, but because of the way our status in the community has changed so much in recent years. I suppose really what I'm asking is, what does Peter mean when he calls us sojourners and exiles in verse 11? He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. What does that mean? What language is that? We're a holy nation, so we're different from the world around us, but we're also a royal priesthood reaching the world around us. How do we make those two things connect? Well, the first thing Peter says in verse 11, when he describes us as sojourners and exiles, strangers in this world, that we should abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. The first thing he says is, yeah, it's okay to be different. We have to abstain from some of the things that the world around us does not abstain from. But just note, when he talks about the passions of the flesh, he doesn't just mean sexual immorality or lust. These words are more likely to describe anything that thinks you can do it under your own steam. In lots of the New Testament, the opposite of flesh is faith. Flesh is going your own way in your own steam. Faith is trusting in God and submitting to his will. He doesn't just mean abstain from the passions of the flesh, stop lusting. He means try not to do anything that's going to be under your own steam. Anything that opposes God, anything that expresses independence of God, anything that's done without faith in God, those things abstain from them. These passions of the flesh you might describe as our natural inclinations, our natural appetites, including lust, but also including things like wanting to be liked by the community around us the desire to be affirmed, the desire to survive at all costs and leaving behind your own principles or your own commitments. There is a war going on in our soul. We are on war footing. It is a dangerous path to take to live as a Christian. There's a fight. 
We need to take precautions. We need to be wise. There is still sin in your life, right? For some of you, that might be hard to believe. Of course, the penalty of sin has been removed. As Christians, we never have to face the condemnation of God. We are free from the penalty of sin. But that doesn't mean that there isn't the presence of sin. Sometimes the lingering power of sin in our life. You and I can never say that we've escaped sin once and for all. So, friends, I want you to be honest with others in your church about what's really going on in your life. Because my assumption is that you're struggling with sin. So, why do we need to be dishonest about the struggles that we face? Peter is reminding us to abstain. From the passions of the flesh. So let's help each other. Let's help each other to be honest and then to give resources so that you and I might leave behind sin bit by bit, day by day, year by year. And in being honest, we're being accountable. This is a fellowship where we want to be honest with each other and to hold each other up. We're abstaining from those fleshly passions that war against our souls. So help each other to do that. And it's hard. There's never a time when you can rest. As, as we've just heard, we need to be always constantly vigilant against the desires of the evil one. It's harder and harder the older you are. When you're an old guy like me, less energy because you're tired, it's harder and harder to resist those assaults of the evil one. Don't think that the old guys have sorted it out. They've got less energy to resist. <laughs> so please be praying not just for the younger crew, but for the older crew as well. And because it's so tiring to work against the sin in your life, you need to develop a lifestyle that actually makes sure there's some energy left for your Christian life. And not to be so busy with other things that there's no spare energy for living as a believer, because living as a believer is tiring. Don't fill up those. Margins in your life with more and more busyness. Make sure that you've got some inside resources inspired by God to continue to own Him and to work with Him about where your life is at. But Peter doesn't just assume that the fight is only on the inside. You see the next verse, verse 12. He assumes as well that the fight is with people around us as well. He says in verse 12, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak of you as evildoers, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation or the day that he visits us. Peter assumes that there's a fight inside, but that around us, people won't like what we stand for and will speak ill of us. He's not referring here to governments. He's referring here to people on your street, in your neighbourhood, in your village. Ten years ago, 20 years ago, if you asked someone on the Burke Street tram, what do they think of Christians? They might have said something like, oh, they're holier than thou. They really think they're better than everyone else. Today, I reckon, if you asked a, a random person on the Burke Street tram what they think of Christians, they'd probably say, toxic. They damage everything they touch. They hurt people. That's the kind of change in, in Australian society in the last 10, 20 years. Once Christians were seen as a bit too holy, now they're seen as people who damage everyone around them. Peter's words here about those who speak evil of us is true today. We're old-fashioned, we're unloving, we're homophobic, we're haters, we discriminate. I mean, when I was an undergraduate at university, I lived in one of the residential colleges at Melbourne University at Queen's College. I'd get up every week to announce the Bible study at dinner time, and literally every week as I got up to the microphone, uh, a dozen or so people hissed at me to silence me. And, of course, that just got me wanting to give more announcements. No, that was not true. <laughs> we persisted. And there was one guy at college who he made the announcement every week, and he was so terrified of being hissed. As he walked up to the microphone to make the announcement, he'd say to himself in his head, bold by the blood, bold by the blood, bold by the blood, to remind himself that he could do this despite the fact that there'd be people in the room who opposed him. But remarkably, in Peter's world, people were speaking evil of Christians. And what's his advice? They may see your good deeds and glorify God. The answer to being hissed at, to being described as toxic, is to persevere, to turn up the volume on Christians doing good deeds in their community. We have to persist in doing good deeds, not because we think good deeds are earning our salvation. Of course not. Christ died and rose again to give us the gift of salvation. But we do good deeds to silence those, in Peter's language, who are speaking evil of us. Just this morning on the radio, there are floods in southeast Queensland. And I heard of a, a, a woman was being interviewed who runs a coffee shop in Maryborough. And the local church, a little bit higher up than the coffee shop, had opened their church building so they could move the whole coffee shop up the hill to keep their business going. So on the ABC this morning, they were praising Christians who had done such a good deed and how great these Christians were in the local community. I just thought that was magnificent, right? 
going out of their way to find opportunities to serve the people who were in dire need. And this woman's business was literally threatened by the flood. Our good deeds have extraordinary power because God uses our good deeds to cut through the evil talking. They even lead to people getting converted, becoming Christians, placing their faith in Jesus Christ. He says that. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honourable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. That might be on the last day, judgment day, or it might be the day they become a Christian. I'm not sure that I'm really clear about what Peter means. But either way, they're becoming Christians because of our good deeds. Please, friends, persevere in doing good deeds. Encourage your community to reach out with good deeds. A friend of mine mocked me when I was living at Queen's College. He would mock me over the table at lunch and dinner and any particular opportunity he had. But I was determined to meet his mocking with love. Uh, He ends up becoming a Christian and is an Anglican minister in the suburbs of Melbourne. Or how about the, the senior consultant at St Vincent's Hospital, who when he visits patients in the ward, he actually is prepared to empty their bedpans, even though that's not what senior consultants do, right? There are other people to do that job. But the nursing staff were amazed. Why would he, that senior guy, be emptying bedpans? Well, he could say to them, because I'm a Christian. Or the friend of mine who worked for one of Melbourne's leading accountancy firms, she was leading a team and she'd get into work early every morning so that she could sharpen all her team's pencils and put a bottle of water on their desk, perhaps some treats in the top drawer. She was determined to honour her team in these small, almost insignificant good deeds. But boy, did it have an impact then when she invited them after hours to come back to work to listen to a talk about the resurrection of Jesus. She had lots of people turning up. She'd she'd shown that there was something different. But Peter does talk about politics as well. He does expect us to be doing good for the people around us. And he does expect that the people around us might not speak highly of us. That's just assumed. But he also wants governments to speak of Christians' good deeds. Can you see that in verses 13 or 14? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. He expects that Christians' good deeds are so evident that the pagan Roman emperor or the pagan governor will recognise and be astounded by the good deeds of Christians. He assumes that Christians aren't going to be troublemakers, but they're going to respect 
the authority that have been put over us. And remember, Peter is writing during the reign of Emperor Nero, who burned Christians alive. He remembers the night when the governor, Pontius Pilate, did evil to the Lord Jesus by sensing him to death. He knows that governments can do bad things. That's not a surprise to Peter. But he still assumes that Christians should be known in their community for doing good. Be subject, he says, for the Lord's sake to every institution, whether it's the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, of course, that's hard. I get it that Christians are a minority in Australia. I get that it's hard, especially if you're part of the older crew who've seen the change in Australian society over the last 20, 30, 40 years. But Peter's point is clear. Verse 15, this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, not just your neighbours, but the governors as well. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, as slaves of God. Honour everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the emperor. He wants our behaviour not to be aggressive, but gentle. Not to be aggressive, but gentle, commending the gospel, adorning the gospel that we preach. Now, the elephant in the room or the elephant in the car park is COVID and how Christians have responded to government mandates. It's been a very, very difficult time. And I think it's a great moment where the church is being shaken out. Different alignments are emerging. I've come across a church in the western suburbs of Melbourne where the elders have said uh, the government of Australia is evil. So they have been prepared to forge vaccination passports for members of their congregation so that they wouldn't lose their jobs, so that their kids would still be able to work in Christian organisations, right? I find this unbelievable that we have to persuade Christians that it's good to be honest. I have another guy, uh, really doctrinally tight, really careful with his theology, going to a Baptist church in country Victoria. And the Baptist pastor of this church decided he'd follow the instructions that the state government gave. So this young guy left the church and he went to a church that was doctrinally really suspect, really odd beliefs. And when the pastor of the Baptist church turned to him, he said, yeah, now it's no longer important to follow correct doctrine. Now the most important thing is going to a church that has my view on mandates. Isn't that extraordinary? Now the idea that our theology, what we believe, what we confess as Christians, is demoted in importance and the idea of how we think about government has been 
raised to a new level. And that's the point at which you decide to join or leave a church. Friends, the most important thing about us as Christians is not what you do or think about government mandates. Our our identity is built around loving the Lord Jesus and serving our community. That's the most important thing about us, right? We can afford to disagree on other matters. And of course, as citizens in Australia, we can vote and write letters to parliamentarians or participate in debates or belong to protests. That's not what I'm saying. Not that those things are ruled out. It's just that they have to take a, a, a position which prizes doing good above them and being known for our commitment to the community around us and our love for those on our streets. We've got to get used to being not sore losers, but good losers, generous losers in lots of things that happen around us in the community. And a reminder, when Peter in verse 16 says, live as people who are free, he's not meaning who live in liberal democracies, who are free politically. He's meaning who are free in the Lord. He's not living in a democracy. He's living under an emperor who's evil and persecutes Christians. And when he's saying live as free people, he's saying we have known what it is to receive salvation from God as a free gift. Why not Give free gifts to those around you. Why don't you act as slaves, denying your liberties so that the people around you benefit from your good works? Honour everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and at the end of the line, honour the emperor. Peter knows that there'll be times when we have to resist the government. He deliberately doesn't say love the emperor or fear the emperor. He says, honour the emperor. It's not a high threshold. It might look like that's the final thing we should do. It's at the end of the line, so it's the most important thing. But actually, he's giving as much as he's taking. Friends, we have to engage with the world around us, not half-heartedly, but wholeheartedly. We have to be seen. We have to be not hidden as Christians, but visible. And what a great sight this is for maximising visibility. We need to be not stingy but generous. This is the way that we honour the Lord, the one who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are strangers and exiles. We are different from the world. But the world should be deafened by our good deeds as well. For the sake of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.